Section thirty one. Part two of Chapter eight of the Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Commentaries on the Laws of England by William Blackstone. Book one. Chapter eight. Part two. Eleven. Another maritime revenue, founded partly upon the same reason, is that of shipwrecks, which are also declared to be the king's property by the same prerogative statute, 17th Edward II, c. 11, and were so long before at the common law. It is worthy observation how greatly the laws of wrecks has been altered, and the rigour of it gradually softened, in favour of the distressed proprietors. Wreck, by the ancient common law, was where any ship was lost at sea, and the goods or cargo were thrown upon the land, in which case these goods, so wrecked, were adjudged to belong to the king, for it was held that by the loss of the ship all property was gone out of the original owner. But this was undoubtedly adding sorrow to sorrow, and was consonant neither to reason nor humanity. Wherefore it was first ordained by King Hedmi I, that if any person escaped alive out of the ship it should be no wreck, and afterwards King Henry II, by his charter, declared that if on the coasts of either England, Pictou, Oleron, or Gascony, any ship should be distressed, and either man or beast should escape or be found therein alive, the goods should remain to the owners, if they claimed them within three months, but otherwise should be esteemed a wreck, and should belong to the king or other lords of the franchise. This was again confirmed, with improvements, by King Richard I., who in the second year of his reign not only established these concessions, by ordaining that the owner, if he was shipwrecked and escaped, omnis res suas liberis and quietus haberet, but also that if he perished, his children, or in default of them his brethren and sisters, should retain the property, and in default of brother or sister, then the goods should remain to the king. And the law, so long after as the reign of Henry the Third, seems to have been guided by the same equitable provisions. For then, if a dog, for instance, escaped, by which the owner might be discovered, or if any certain mark were set on the goods, by which they might be known again, it was held to be no wreck. And this is certainly most agreeable to reason, the rational claim of the king being only founded upon this, that the true owner cannot be ascertained. But afterwards, in the statute of Westminster I, the law is laid down and more agreeable to the charter of King Henry II, and upon that statute hath stood the legal doctrine of wrecks to the present time. It enacts that if any live thing escapes, a man, a cat, or a dog, which, as in Bracton, are only put for examples, in this case, and as it seems, in this case only, it is clearly not a legal wreck. But the sheriff of the county is bound to keep the goods a year and a day, as in France for one year, agreeably to the maritime laws of Oleron, and in Holland for a year and a half, that if any man can prove a property in them, either in his own right, or by right of representation, they shall be restored to him without delay. But if no such property be proved within that time, then they shall be the king's. If the goods are of perishable nature, the sheriff may sell them, and the money shall be liable in their stead. This revenue of wrecks is frequently granted out to lords of manors, as a royal franchise, and if any one be thus entitled to wrecks in his own land, and the king's goods are wrecked thereon, the king may claim them at any time, even after the year and a day. It is to be observed that in order to constitute a legal wreck, the goods must come to land. 
If they continue at sea, the law distinguishes them by the barbarous and uncouth appellations of jetsam, flotsam, and ligand. Jetsam is where goods are cast into the sea, and there sink and remain under water. Flotsam is where they continue swimming on the surface of the waves. Ligand is where they are sunk in the sea, but tied to a cork or buoy, in order to be found again. These are also the kings, if no owner appears to claim them. But if any owner appears, he is entitled to recover the possession. For even if they be cast overboard, without mark or buoy, in order to lighten the ship, the owner is not by this act of necessity construed to have renounced his property. Much less can things ligand be supposed to be abandoned, since the owner has done all in his power to assert and retain his property. These three are therefore accounted so far a distinct thing from the former, that, by the king's grant to a man of rex, things jetsam, flotsam, and ligand were not passed. Rex, in their legal acceptation, are at present not very frequent, it rarely happening that every living creature on board perishes, and if any should survive, it is a very great chance, since the improvement of commerce, navigation, and correspondence, but the owner will be able to assert his property within the year and a day limited by law. And in order to preserve this property entire for him, and if possible to prevent wrecks at all, our laws have been made very humane regulations, in a spirit quite opposite to those savage laws which formerly prevailed in all the northern regions of Europe, and a few years ago were still laid to subsist on the coast of the Baltic Sea, permitting the inhabitants to seize on whatever they could get as lawful prize, or, as an author of their own expresses it, in Naufragorum miseria et calamitate tanquam vultures et predum carere. For by the statute 2nd Edward the Third, c. 13, if any ship be lost on the shore, and the goods come to land, so as it be not legal wrecked, they shall be presently delivered to the merchants, by paying only a reasonable reward to those that saved and preserved them, which is entitled salvage. And by the common law, if any persons, other than the sheriff, take any goods so cast on shore, which are not legal wreck, the owners might have a commission to inquire and find them out, and compel them to make restitution. And by statute 12 and 2 c. 18, confirmed by 4th George I c. 12, in order to assist the distressed, and prevent the scandalous illegal practices on some of our sea-coasts, too similar to those on the Baltic, it is enacted that all head-officers and others of towns near the sea shall, upon application made to them, summon as many hands as are necessary, and send them to the relief of any ship in distress, on forfeiture of one thousand pounds, and in case of assistance given, salvage shall be paid by the owners, to be assured by three neighbouring justices." All persons that secret any goods shall forfeit their treble value, and if they wilfully do any act whereby the ship is lost or destroyed, by making holes in her, stealing her pumps, or otherwise, they are guilty of felony, without benefit of clergy. Lastly, by the statute 26th George the Second, c. 19, plundering any vessel either in distress or wrecked, and whether any living creature be on board or not, for, whether wreck or otherwise, it is clearly not the property of the populace. Such plundering, I say, or preventing the escape of any person that endeavours to save his life, or wounding him with intent to destroy him, or putting out false lights in order to bring any vessel into danger, are all declared to be capital felonies, 
in like manner as the destroying trees, steeples, or other stated sea-marks, is punishable by the statute 8 Elizabeth C. 13, with a forfeiture of two thousand pounds. Moreover, by the statute of George the Second, pilfering any goods cast ashore is declared to be petty larceny, and many other salutary regulations are made, for the more effectual preserving ships of any nation in distress. 12. A twelfth branch of the royal revenue, the right to mines, has its original from the king's prerogative of coinage, in order to supply him with materials, and therefore those mines which are properly royal, and to which the king is entitled, when found, are only those of silver and golds. By the old common law, if gold or silver be found in mines of base metal, according to the opinion of some of the whole, was a royal mine, and belonging to the king, though others held that it only did so, if the quantity of gold or silver was of greater value than the quantity of base metal. But now, by the statutes, first William and Mary I, c. 30, and five William and Mary, c. 6, this difference is made immaterial, it being enacted that no mines of copper, tin, iron, or lead shall be looked upon as royal mines, notwithstanding gold or silver may be extracted from them in any quantities, but that the king, or persons claiming royal mines under his authority, may have the ore, other than tin ore in the counties of Devon and Cornwall, paying for the same a price stated in the Act. This was an extremely reasonable law, for now private owners are not discouraged from working mines, through a fear that they may be claimed as royal ones. Neither does the king depart from the just rights of his revenue, since he may have all the precious metal contained in the ore, paying no more for it than the value of the base metal which it is supposed to be, to which base metal the land-owner is by reason and law entitled. 13. To the same original may in part be referred the revenue of treasure-trove, derived from the French word trive to find, called in Latin thesaurus inventus, which is where any money or coin, gold, silver, plate, or bullion, is found hidden in the earth, or other private place, the owner thereof being unknown, in which case the treasure belongs to the king. But if he that hid it be known, or afterwards found out, the owner, and not the king, is entitled to it. Also, if it be found in the sea, or upon the earth, it doth not belong to the king, but the finder, if no owner appears. So that it seems it is the hiding, not the abandoning of it, that gives the king a property. Braxton, defining it in the words of the civilians, to be vestus depositio pecunae. This difference clearly arises from the different intentions which the law implies in the owner. A man that hides his treasure in a secret place evidently does not mean to relinquish his property, but reserves the right of claiming it again, when he sees occasion, and if he dies and the secret also dies with him, the law gives it the king, in part of his royal revenue. But a man that scatters his treasure into the sea, or upon the public surface of the earth, is construed to have absolutely abandoned his property, and returned it into the common stock, without any intention of reclaiming it, and therefore it belongs, as in a state of nature, to the first occupant, or finder, unless the owner appear and assert his right, which then proves that the loss was by accident, and not with an intent to renounce his property. Formerly all treasure-trove belonged to the finder, as was also the rule of the civil law. Afterwards it was judged expedient, for the purposes of the state, and particularly for the coinage, to allow part of what was found to the king, which part was assigned to be all hidden treasure, 
such as is casually lost and unclaimed, and also such as designedly abandoned, still retaining the right of the fortunate finder. And that the prince shall be entitled to this hidden treasure is now grown to be, according to Grotius, jus commune et quasi gentium. For it is not only observed, he adds, in England, but in Germany, France, Spain, and Denmark. The finding of deposited treasure was much more frequent, and the treasures themselves more considerable, in the infancy of our constitution than at present. When the Romans, and other inhabitants of the respective countries which composed their empire, were driven out by the northern nations, they concealed their money underground, with a view of resorting to it again when the heat of the eruption should be over, and the invaders driven back into their deserts. But, as this never happened, the treasures were never reclaimed, and on the death of the owners the secret also died along with them. The conquering generals, being aware of the value of these hidden mines, made it highly penal to secrete them from the public service. In England, therefore, as among the feudists, the punishment of such as concealed from the king the finding of hidden treasure was formerly no less than death, but now it is only fine and imprisonment. 14. Waifs, bona waviata, are goods stolen, and waved or thrown away by the thief in his flight, for fear of being apprehended. These are given to the king by the law, as a punishment upon the owner, for not himself pursuing the felon, and taking away his goods from him. And therefore, if the party robbed, do his diligence immediately to follow and apprehend the thief, which is called making fresh suit, or do convict him afterwards, or procure evidence to convict him, he shall have his goods again. Waived goods do also not belong to the king, till seized by somebody for his use. For if the party robbed can seize them first, though at the distance of twenty years, the king shall never have them. If the goods are hid by the thief, or left anywhere by him, so that he had not them about him when he fled, and therefore did not throw them away in his flight, these also are not bona waviata, but the owner may have them again when he pleases. The goods of a foreign merchant, though stolen and thrown away in flight, shall never be waifs, the reason whereof may be, not only for the encouragement of trade, but also because there is no willful default in the foreign merchants not pursuing the thief, he being generally a stranger to our laws, our usages, and our languages. 15. Estrays are such valuable animals as are found wandering in any manner or lordship, and no man knoweth the owner of them, in which case the law gives them to the king as the general owner and lord paramount of the soil, in recompense for the damage which they may have done therein, and they now most commonly belong to the lord of the manor, by special grant from the crown. But in order to vest an absolute property in the king or his grantees, they must be proclaimed in the church and the two market-towns next joining to the place where they are found, and then, if no man claims them, after proclamation and a year and a day passed, they belong to the king or his substitute, without redemption, even though the owner were a minor, or under any other legal incapacity. A provision similar to which obtained in the old Gothic constitution, with regard to all things that were found, which were to be thrice proclaimed, primum corum commitibus, and via taboris obvious, diende in proxima villa vel pago, postuma corum ecclesiasca vel judico, and the space of a year was allowed for the owner to reclaim his property. If the owner claims them within the year and the day, he must pay the charges of finding, keeping, and proclaiming them. The king or lord hath no property till a year and a day passed, 
for if a lord keepeth an astray three-quarters of a year, and within the year it strayeth again, and another lord getteth it, the first lord cannot take it again. Any beast may be an astray, that is by nature tame or reclaimable, and in which there is a valuable property, as sheep, oxen, swine, and horses, which we in general call cattle, and so Fleta defines it, pecus vagens quod nullis petit, sequitur vel advocat, for animals upon which the law sets no value, as a dog or cat, and animals fairy natre, as a bear or wolf, cannot be considered as astrays. So swans may be astrays, but not any other fowl, whence they are said to be royal fowl. The reason of which distinction seems to be that, as cattle and swans being of a reclaimed nature, the owner's property in them is not lost merely by their temporary escape and they also, from their intrinsic value, are a sufficient pledge for the expense of the lord of the franchise in keeping them the year and a day. For he that takes an astray is bound, so long as he keeps it, to find it in provisions and keep it from damage, and may not use it by way of labour, but is liable to an action for so doing. Yet he may milk a cow or the like, for that tends to the preservation, and is for the benefit of the animals." Besides the particular reasons before given why the king should have the several revenues of royal fish, shipwrecks, treasure-trove, waifs, and estrays, there is also one general reason which holds for them all, and that is, because they are bona vacantia, or goods in which no one else can claim a property. And therefore, by the law of nature they belong to the first occupant or finder, and so continued under the imperial law. But in settling the modern constitutions of most of the governments in Europe, it was thought proper to prevent that strife and contention which the mere title of occupancy is apt to create and continue, and to provide for the support of public authority in a manner the least burdensome to individuals, that these rights should be annexed to the supreme power by the positive laws of the state. And so it came to pass that, as Bracton expresses it, hec quae nullius in bonus sunt, et olum ferent inventoris de jure naturale, jam efficantur propices de jure gentium. 16. The next branch of the king's ordinary revenue consists in forfeitures of lands and goods for offences, bona confiscata, as they are called by the civilians, because they belong to the fiscus or imperial treasury, or, as our lawyers term them, foris facta, that is, such whereof the property is gone away or departed from the owner. The true reason, and only substantial ground, of any forfeiture for crimes consists in this, that all property is derived from society, being one of those civil rights which are conferred upon individuals, in exchange for that decree of natural freedom, which every man must sacrifice when he enters into social communities. If, therefore, a member of any national community violates the fundamental contract of his association, by transgressing the municipal laws, he forfeits his right to such privileges as he claims by that contract, and the State may, very justly, resume that portion of property, or any part of it, which the laws have before assigned him. Hence, in every offence of an atrocious kind, the laws of England have exacted a total confiscation of the movables or personal estate, and in many cases a perpetual, in others only a temporary, loss of the offender's immovables or landed property, and have vested them both in the king, who is the person supposed to be offended, being the one visible magistrate in whom the majesty of the public resides. The particulars of these forfeitures will be more properly recited when we treat of crimes and misdemeanors. 
I therefore only mention them here, for the sake of regularity, as a part of the census regulus, and shall postpone for the present the farther consideration of all forfeitures, excepting one species only, which arises from the misfortune rather than the crime of the owner, and is called a deodand. By this is meant whatever personal chattel is the immediate occasion of the death of any reasonable creature, which is forfeited to the king, to be applied to pious uses, and distributed in alms by his high almoner, though formerly destined to a more superstitious purpose. It seems to have been originally designed, in the blind days of popery, as an expiation for the souls of such as were snatched away by sudden death, and for that purpose ought properly have been given to holy church, in the same manner, as the apparel of a stranger who was found dead was applied to purchase masses for the good of his soul. And this may account for that rule of law, that no deodand is due where an infant under the years of discretion is killed by a fall from a cart, or horse, or the like, not being in motion. Whereas, if an adult person falls from thence and is killed, the thing is certainly forfeited. For the reason given by Sir Matthew Hale seems to be very inadequate, viz., because an infant is not able to take care of himself, for why should the owner save his forfeiture, on account of the imbecility of the child, which ought rather have made him more cautious to prevent any accident of mischief? The true ground of this rule seems rather to be, that the child, by reason of its want of discretion, is presumed incapable of actual sin, and therefore needed no deodan to purchase propitiary masses. But every adult, who dies in actual sin, stood in need of such atonement, according to the humane superstitions of the founders of the English law. Thus stands the law, if a person be killed by a fall from a thing standing still. But if a horse, or ox, or other animal, of his own motion, kill as well an infant as an adult, or if a cart runs over him, they shall in either case be forfeited as deodans, which is grounded upon this additional reason, that such misfortunes are in part owing to the negligence of the owner." and therefore he is properly punished by such forfeiture. A like punishment is in like cases inflicted in the Mosaical law. If an ox gore a man, that he die, the ox shall be stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten. And among the Athenians, whatever was the cause of a man's death, by falling upon him, was exterminated or cast out of the dominions of the Republic. Where a thing not in motion is the occasion of a man's death, that part only which is the immediate cause is forfeited, as if a man be climbing up a wheel, and is killed by falling from it, the wheel alone is a deodand. But wherever the thing is in motion, not only that part which immediately gives the wound, as the wheel which runs over the body, but all things which move with it and help to make the wound more dangerous, as the cart and loading, which increase the pressure of the wheels, are forfeited. It matters not whether the owner were concerned in the killing or not, for if a man kills another with my sword, the sword is forfeited, as an accursed thing. And therefore, in all indictments for homicide, the instrument of death and the value are presented and found by the grand jury, as that the stroke was given with a certain penknife, value sixpence, that the king or his grantee may claim the deodand, for it is no deodand unless it be presented, as such, by a jury of twelve men. No deodands are due for accidents happening upon the high sea, that being out of the jurisdiction of the common law. But if a man falls from a boat or ship in fresh water and is drowned, the vessel and cargo are in strictness a deodand. Deodands and forfeitures in general, as well as wrecks, treasure trove, royal fish, 
mines, waifs, and estrays, may be granted by the king to particular subjects, as a royal franchise, and, indeed, they are for the most part granted out to the lords of manners, or other liberties, to the perversion of their original design. End of section 31